Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello, you. Welcome to episode 125 of the Square Ball Podcast. My name's Dan Moylan and no Michael this time. We've got somebody drafted in off the subs bench. It's Rob Conlon, writer for the Square Ball. Welcome. Hello. And Moscow White's here as well, our friend, definitely our friend after last week, Daniel Chapman. Hello, everybody. It's it's nice to be friends with you all. So we're on to issue nine of the fanzine. That is out now. Remaining copies will be on sale against Sheffield Wednesday, or you can pick one up online. Get one as part of a digital subscription as well, which works out at a quid a month. All the articles now go onto the website as well. So you can read them on your phone or your tablet, and you can download the mag if you fancy looking at it the other way. All that is at thesquareball.net. Right, we've got two games this week to look ahead to. Yay! It's getting really enjoyable at the minute, if that's the right word. Uh, however, let's look back first of all on us getting totally monked again. Yeah, this is now it was supposed to happen. Losing twice to Gary Monk. You said on the last podcast, Moscow, we mm-hmm. cannot at any point let them get in front. And that's exactly what we did. But to be fair, it was a close run thing, wasn't it? If that Bamford shot had gone in instead of hitting the post, then could have been a vastly different game. But on such things, the game's turn. Are you blaming our defeat entirely on uh, Pat Bamford? Is that what you're saying? It's all his fault. Nobody else's. Him alone. Singled out. That goat is escaping and you're going to fence it back in and blame it for things. I mean, what do you think, Rob? I mean, like, I, I feel he's getting a bit of a raw deal, Bamford, because he's doing all the right things. And he certainly did mostly in this game, got his shots on target. What do you think? I felt like that in the past, but I must admit this game, I don't know if it's just, it's getting so tense now. I'm sort of getting chest pains watching Leeds and watching Bamford miss those chances just because it keeps happening to him. I do kind of feel sorry for him a little bit, but we've paid loads of money for him to score goals and he's not scoring goals. No, you can't say he's doing everything right. When that, the chance that we're talking about in particular, even watching the, the LUTV highlights back after, cause then Birmingham went straight up the other end and scored within a minute. And even as they're running through the replays of Birmingham's goal, you can hear Eddie Gray saying, why didn't you just head it? He should have headed it. Why hasn't he headed it? You mentioned this in your match report because I haven't gone back and watched it. Mm. I wasn't aware that there was maybe the opportunity to head it instead, but you mentioned it in your match report on the square. I thought he had headed it. Like when I saw it happening in real time. I thought, oh, he's headed that against the post. That's unlucky. And then when I look back on the replay, it's like, head it in the goal. How bad a miss was it? Because I didn't see it back either. And I saw a few people on Twitter sort of defending him saying, well, he was stretching for it. Because he went with his leg instead of heading it. I don't know. It looks like he changed his mind. There was an opportunity. Maybe it wasn't perfect to head, but he he made that decision so late. I think he was up thinking, oh, I'll, I'll head this cross in. And then he's changed his mind, whether that was the right decision or not, but he's not had time. He's kind of stuck his left boot out and instead of striking it into the goal, it's hit his left boot and just bounced to where it bounces. So he's kind of lucky that it was as close as it was, but also unlucky because we're saying he needs something to just kind of hit him and go in. And basically he did everything to make that happen. He did let the ball just kind of hit him. I didn't go in and hit the fucking post. And it's kind of, I don't know, it's his luck, I guess, as much as anything. You can't say really, you'd want some a striker in that situation to be lucky enough that that ball just goes two inches to the other side and it hits the post and goes in. But that's not happening for him. And so we, uh, so we have a massive go at him all the time, forever. Do you not think he was a little bit isolated with the way that we set up? Because Gary Monk knew what he was doing. He put the two up front, which obviously pushed Calvin Phillips further back. The whole midfield's then deeper and Bamford was just isolated. Like Pablo was nowhere near him and mm. normally he's up the other end of the field just pulling all the strings and didn't happen. Bielsa did say he played better in this game than against Millwall. I think that was right outside the box. He was absolutely fine. Whereas against Millwall, he, it was like he, he had great difficulty just controlling a football. Or, or I think I said last time, everything he tried to do right, he did wrong. This time he did lots of things right. Passing was fine. He set up Tyler Roberts in the first minute for a chance, which was a really good pass through. He's a weird footballer though, Bamford. Like if you look, he's only really scored goals in two spells. He had that one season at Middlesbrough when they got promoted 
and then the the second half of last season at Middlesbrough. Mm. But I mean, you look at last season at Middlesbrough and he scored goals against like Sunderland and Leeds, which don't really count in that second half of that <laughs> season. But I think, Dan, you mentioned in the last podcast about his language style, which doesn't really help him. And I think it's it's maybe a bit of a cliche given what like what everyone knows about his upbringing and what Sean Dyche has said about him. But he does just seem too nice. Mm. Like you what you got think back to that Sheffield United game and Billy Sharp in the first minute. I mean, he's not a big guy. Well, certainly not tall, but he's like knocked Cooper over straight away, knocked Janssen over straight away. He's aggressive, isn't he? Yeah, and it's just it's just making a nuisance of yourself. And then you see what the goal their, their goal comes out of. Mm. It's Cooper panicking because he's got Sharp right in his toes. If Bamford's not scoring, he's just not really good enough to get away with not doing that. I, don't I think, think that struck me more than anything. And I went for a few beers on Saturday night with my mate and he made this point and he's not a Leeds fan, but having watched Bamford sort of from a step removed, if you like, and he was saying he just doesn't seem to be like aggressive, I guess is the word. He doesn't like put himself onto stuff. He kind of almost lets stuff hit him and he places stuff very, it's very, it's very neat and very tidy. Mm. But maybe what you need in this division is just somebody who's just going to put the foot through it or risk that. And it's, it seems unfair because he hurt himself on the post at, at Bristol, but you know, put his body on the line kind of thing. Yeah, I think he's maybe paying the price of coming up at Chelsea. He's what part of that generation of players who've just been farmed in and then farmed out constantly. And the players we've had from that, Bamford, Izzy Brown, Lewis Baker, Jamal Blackman, none of them really seem asked. I mean, I think Bamford, that's a bit unfair on on him because he has shown effort. I don't think, when I say doesn't seem asked, I don't think that applies necessarily to Bamford as a kind of a conscious thought. There's just something about maybe the way they've been brought up, not violin lessons, but just that thing of having fortunes foisted upon them by Chelsea at a very early age and then going out on loan to these clubs and never really having But they don't a, care, there's no emotional investment. Yeah, and he wasn't very long at Middlesbrough and he's kind of just, yeah, like a real, like, like you compare him to Jack Clark, for example, getting into the team at 17, really making a mark, setting his start. Whereas Bamford, it's always been kind of, like you say, few games on loan at this club, few games on loan at that club. You look, if you search for him on Google Images, he's wearing so many different shirts and there's not really an identity. You can't really say, what is Patrick Bamford? What does he do? Is he Brown? Is he a Huddersfield player? Is he a Rotherham player? He's a Chelsea player. It's all kind of very mixed up. And uh, I think that um, I think that academy system, like, I, th- I think it is kind of changing now because if you look at guys like Hudson-Odoi and if you look at the England youth squads, they're all really successful playing good football. But I know on Planet Football, we've had a lot of interviews with guys who have played one game at Premier League level. And they say that kind of that academy system, it, you're brought up to play kind of nice football. But then when you have to drop down the leagues, because only a select few make it at the Premier League, you're just not equipped to deal with that different type of football, mm. that physical football. Not everyone plays the same way, whereas they do at academy system. And that's where you see guys going abroad, not even necessarily the high profile guys like Sancho, but you see guys like going to Scandinavia and they end up in Denmark or Finland playing sort of, because that's where they play that style of nice touch and pass football, which you just don't get in the championship. So we're going to Bamford like a dead parrot off to the fjords. (laughs) Maybe that'll suit him better. Him and Marcus Antonsen. Maybe we should have just kept Marcus Antonsen if we wanted a kind of a a floaty flim flam, neat and tidy, nicely uh, quaffured striker uh, who didn't score many goals. Well, returning to this game though, Rob, do you think Bielsa got it wrong? I don't really want to be the guy criticising Marcelo Bielsa in terms of tactics, but there is a weird thing this season where it surprised me that more people, more teams haven't played two up front against us because if Bielsa is going to do this three at the back, but I don't think he really has recently as much as I can think. Maybe they do it during the game and it's a bit more fluid, but to set your stall out as three at the back, it just, for a manager who sort of He's so focused on our process and us taking control of what we can control. It seems to worry too much about the opposition and, and it detracts from what we do really well. So rather than Calvin Phillips imposing himself on their midfield, he's worrying about battling with some big shithouse striker like Birmingham out up front in Djokovic. And then again, it's like you say, Hernandez has to drop deeper because Klitsch isn't really that player who sort of knits things together at the base midfield. One player I actually think would actually suit that system is is Forshaw. I think he has those abilities to sit, instead of maybe Klitsch, to sit in front of the back four. And then you've got the physicality at the back with Phillips, Cooper, Janssen. And then Forshaw could hopefully bring guys like Hernandez in, on the ball further forward, maybe. I also don't really get Roberts' role. Like, sometimes he does things that you go, oh, right, he's a really good footballer. But then others, he, he just kind of drifts in and out of games, I think. Yeah, he's using his, uh, him as a number 10, but he's never, I don't think he's ever really played it. Um, so he's kind of learning on the job at a really mm. important part of the season. And we tried the thing again in the second half of totally rejigging everything so that Pablo Hernandez went in the middle and could try and have more influence and try and do Millwall part two. But 
were too far gone by that point. Everything just seemed to, everything seemed to just gradually go to shit. And it does. It got away from us, didn't it? Again, yeah, got it, away from us. It yeah. does seem to begin from that. The three centre-backs against two strikers thing seems to be like a rule he's had, mm. Bielsa's had since time immemorial. It's just, it is what it does. But it is strange that uh, you're absolutely right. An opposition manager can just basically dictate what Bielsa's formation is going to be by making that change. Bielsa seems to play these weird, not weird, but this kind of percentage games where he just works out like his style will work in a certain number of games against a certain number of teams. And he kind of calculates, well, I won't face that many teams who are going to play to up front. Therefore, I will win enough games to win the league. But there's not a lot of margin for error. Let me frame it in a slightly different way then, because we accept that Monk, I guess, nullified the tactics. Is it down just to a lack of quality in the players? Because if we've got a better striker than Bamford, maybe, he puts that in. Game's a different game, isn't it? He always talks about not taking our chances has that been the difference this year, just lacking that next level of quality? And is it just a symptom of the championship? How many would Vidra have scored? <laughs> Question. Or that. Abel Hernandez. Yeah. How's his knees coping? Or um, Jeremy Umboku was the guy. <laughs> Jerry. Jerry, Jerry Umboku yeah. that we were going to sign. Probably still without a club, so we might be able to get him in for the running. <laughs> Even Ryan Edmondson. I saw um, at Bielsa's press conference before the Preston game, Adam Pope did ask him, is he close and I think we're recording this on Monday night I think Edmondson scored again for the under 23s tonight I mean they're playing in the same system Edmondson scoring goal after goal of the type um, of the ones I've seen that Bamford missed although there was one he scored against Colchester where it hit him hit one foot and then bounced off the other and went over the line and he kind of he was too embarrassed to actually celebrate it but it went in which is the difference I'm sure if uh, if that chance fell to Bamford it hit one foot hit his other it would go wide <laughs> so it's kind of it would be a crazy move. And uh, Bielsa's response was, he said, well, in front of him are Roof, Bamford and Roberts and then Edmondson. But Roberts is playing number 10. Bamford's out of form. Roof is kind of injured. He said that if Pablo Hernandez can't play against Preston, Roof's going to play there. So there's kind of, those strikers are all kind of moving out of the way, but he'll probably just play Bamford. I mean, to be fair to Bamford, it isn't just him. Like no. you look at Alioski and Harrison Blessum like on that left side, they're so frustrating. I mean, they're endearing. Like they make things happen by sort of sheer force of will. Well, and you're running, trying hard. Yeah, it is that kind of thing. But so they're just so frustrating on the ball. We kind of get away with it if one of them sort of plays slightly above themselves. I mean, how many times this season do you think Alioski, a ball has kind of bounced loose to the far side of the penalty area and he's come running onto it and his mind has gone, <laughs> I'm the Macedonian Van Basten and this is going in the top corner and it goes woof, like miles out the ground. And the other thing on uh, in the Birmingham game is set pieces. Mm. If we want Pat Vanford to be kind of a, a fox in the box, burying all these chances, we need, if we've got a corner or a free kick, get it in the six yard box where our striker might actually have a chance, not just hit the first man. Pablo Hernandez, fucking rubbish. And is that the thing? Is it the... It's the championship decision-making, isn't it? I guess that's what it is. But Because we seem now, just we've sort of defaulted into this almost big picture type thing now about the whole season. I was just wondering, can we take anything specific from that Birmingham game? We never want to play a Gary Monk team again. <laughs> and how does it sit, do you think, now within the context of the season? Because obviously we've lost the ground that we gained on Sheffield United. Norwich basically out of sight now, so that's done and dusted. The swift... Uh, arrival of the Preston game is helpful because um, there's nothing we can really say definitively about the Birmingham result and Sheffield United winning at the same time until we know what we've done against, well, until we've finished full-time at which is when we'll know we're kind of in that thing where it's, we are only, what are we, we're one point behind Sheffield United instead of being two points ahead of them. And that can all change again on Wednesday. It could just go back to exactly how we were on Saturday morning. With two fewer games to play. With two fewer games, which would be fine. If we come out of this on Wednesday night after Sheffield United have been beaten by Birmingham and Gary Monk is now my favourite person again, then I would very happily be back in that position that we were on last Saturday morning with two fewer games to play. Perfect. If we could just, like, the more we can just stay in exactly those positions with the fewer games to play, that's the point, isn't it? So it's, there's not really, we can look at Bielsa's, tactics and one we know that he's not going to change them after 30 years in the game and two it's kind of there's the other aspect of it where it is just sheer panic and just getting from game to game and just going and just looking at the lead set we could almost not watch any of these games and just kind of close our eyes (laughs) constantly and then just open them again like twice a week look at the league table and go oh we're third now okay 
I think that's the thing because no, neither of these two sides, Sheffield United or Leeds, have have shown any sort of capability to get into the top two and stay in the top two. So it is after one game, it's just kind of pointless in a way of looking at it. <laughs> Which is why I guess it feels like it's just going to go down to the to the end of the season, down to the wire. Are you taking any enjoyment out of this now? Uh, I mean, obviously we lost against Birmingham, so we're not going to enjoy that. But I mean, just generally, the, has it stopped being fun now? And you, do you just want to get it over with? It's getting more and more difficult. And like I say, my chest does suddenly just start hurting at random points of the day now, or I just get a pang of anxiety. And also I just find myself on, it's quite a nice day Saturday. And, you know, you just kind of wave goodbye to your friends and go sit in a dark room and watch a crappy stream of a Leeds game. It's kind of a strange place to be in. Oh yeah, I was getting um, texts from somebody, I was watching it on the stream as well. And somebody texted me and said, oh, do you want to come out drinking? And um, I pointed out that I didn't want to spend much time with a brummie at that exact moment. <laughs> and uh, she was completely in the dark about about what I was doing and what was happening. But I sent her a photograph of the score in the corner of the screen. She's it's like, not because I hate you. Yeah, but I, I've got something much, much worse to do. We're on to episode six of the Extra Ball podcast right now. And this week we are diving right into this head scratcher. Here's a sliding doors question for you. If you could go back in time for a day to any point since our promotion in 1990 and change just one thing, what day would you go back to? And what do you think the impact of your change might be? Something you would change from Leeds United's past, boys. I can think of many things. But can you single it out to one specific event? Well, we answer that question on The Extra Ball and subscribing to The Extra Ball helps support this podcast, pushes us towards our goal of doing this even more, doing it full time. Two ninety nine a month. And if you fancy that, it's at the squareball.net forward slash The Extra Ball. Right, we'll cobble together another half-baked reason to chuck shade at Ken Bates in a bit. But first, you know when you go to Costa Coffee and you hope beyond hope that you're going to walk in there and see Marcelo Bielsa sat there, don't you? It's the dream. Uh, ready to give you a tactical masterclass, maybe on his laptop, something like that. But because you're in Knotsford and you're not in Weatherby, instead you see a chubby Paul Butler shoveling marshmallows into his face and guzzling hot chocolate. Because that happened to you, Moscow, on a family visit, didn't it? It did happen. I wasn't expecting to see Marcelo Bielsa there, but I would have been overjoyed if I had, and I was distinctly underjoyed uh, with what enc- I encountered instead. The one positive from this experience is that it led us to the question of who you had seen and where you had seen them. Now, this is thrilling because we have a first-hand witness account (laughs) from Rob. Who did you see, Rob? I mean, this was possibly the best day of my life, actually. But it was, um, if you think back to the Barnsley game at home last season, again, that was the dark days of Paul Heckingbottom. It was actually a lovely day in Leeds, very bright and sunny, and Leeds actually won a game, which was a rarity around then. So then afterwards, going to town having a few beers in a nation of shopkeepers we were, eating a burger. And oh, then, the, the fancy bar. And then a, a Range Rover pulls up at the traffic lights outside. And I was just in the middle of regaling yet again about Pablo Hernandez and who is it but the man himself at the wheel. Obviously, I was quite excitable by this point and just started chanting his name, thinking there's no way he's going to see me. Obviously, arms in the air and everything. Turns out he does turn, look at me. With those stone cold <laughs> Vietnam War veteran eyes and just like a stone cold killer, just gives me the thumbs up. Doesn't even crack a smile, understandably. That, in, that, in my mind, he winked. Did he wink? I'm sort of remembering it as he did wink, but I think I might have it be sort of just embellishing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then at that exact same point, the lights just turn to green and he just zooms off. It was absolutely beautiful. And I was just grinning from ear to ear the rest of the day. And also, two days later, he signed a new contract. So. Maybe you were just that final... I mean, you know, yeah. I don't want to be... I'm not saying I've earned this promotion or anything, but, you know, a, a medal, been, hopefully, in the post. That had been very difficult. The whole thing about, is he going to sign a new contract? We're all wondering why it wasn't wasn't happening. Maybe that was the, that was the clincher. Well, Some I'm drunken loon in me. the window of nation. <laughs> we're going to have to go some to top that, but is there anybody else we've seen? Well, Mark Fillmore, Idle Pastimes on the Twitter also describes his uh, spotting as, in truth, he says, a life highlight. Is it Pablo Hernandez? Is it Robert Snodgrass? Is it Luciano Vecchio? It's Glyn Snowden. Ask for directions to Batley Sports Centre when I was washing my car in my mum and dad's driveway. Just up the road on the left, uh, Mark must have told him, and he says uh, he was driving an Astra GTE for added colour. Lovely. Yeah. That's nice. Glyn Snowden. I, I've got to imagine that this was Glyn in his younger days. 
his true mullet splendour. Again, I'm seeing a wink there, a wink and a lead salute, because obviously Glenn was the one who popularised it. It would have had to be a lead salute. If if a Leeds fan has given you the directions, Glenn Snowden is probably not only going to give him a a lead salute, but give him his car or something. He'll be that happy. Signed photographs, signed footballs, a couple of tracksuits and a car. And the follow-up thought I'm having there is, what was going on at Batley Sports Centre that he needed to go to? <laughs> what do you think, badminton? Something like that? I don't know if Glyn would be a badminton fan. I don't know what he would be at snooker. Snooker, did they play snooker at a leisure centre? Car boot sale. <laughs> it could have been a car boot sale. Out of the back of his Astra, beautiful. And third one and final one for now is DB Carajo, which is at DB underscore Kahuna on Twitter. Not strictly a spotted story, but one of my friends used to live next to Paul Green. Well, that is a spotted story by proxy. Apparently, he used to spend his free time on his ride on lawnmower, mowing his sizable lawn. I don't think that's a euphemism. I'd like to know if you tried to do a, a Cruyff turn on it, like you did against Derby County, to let them in to score that bloody goal, which is one of the darkest points of recent years following Leeds United. Doesn't that just make you a bit sad, though, knowing that Paul Green is pootling around on his drive on lawnmower, living the high life? It makes me wonder why his uh, sports centre that he's opened, and I think it's in Pontefract, why it's an indoor sports centre, because if he'd opened it outdoor, he'd have all the lawns he wanted that he could mow to his heart's content. Whereas I don't know if he can really get away with mowing a parquet floor inside a leisure centre, which is effectively what he's got. I think it also shows what kind of simpletons we've had populating the Leeds midfield over the years. One thing to say, if you are on a drive-on lawnmower, you're definitely putting like the grass stripes in, aren't you? You're going one way, then the other, then crossways, you know, like a like a groundsman. He'd make an absolute mess of it, though. And that's probably why he spent so much time on it. He's like, oh, no, I've gone over the lines again. Oh, I didn't realise that I, I twisted there and turned the tractor around. Now the pattern's ruined. Got to start again. <laughs> His wife comes out and just sees him falling off it. <laughs> He's got it all wrong. He's overturned it. The, the island boss is on the foot. Oh, it's all right, Paul. Call you back. Well, we are hurtling towards the end of the season. I just want it to end now. I just would like it all to be over so we know what happens. We have Villa, as you know, penultimate game of the season. And this is going to be a little bit like shooting fish in a barrel. But what do we think of the very late in the day Villa change for Sky? I think Sean Harvey's a Is that all right? Is that what you want to hear? Right, let's move on. (laughs) So I think, I mean, possibly the the most minor irritation of this is that Leeds United have had to move the Player of the Season Awards dinner from Saturday to Sunday, which is just like the the most minor thing, but it is still irritating. And then, yeah, and just the number of people whose arrangements that messes up is ridiculous. And it's right on the limit of the... Announced they're supposed to give six weeks notice. I think they agreed to that, but there were also like windows where they've said we we might move these games up to this certain date, so they can kind of go, oh well, you shouldn't have booked. And they were right on the limit of that. But it was three weeks for this, wasn't it? it was, right. But they had the date as April fifth for the announcement, which they did. They fulfilled it, and it's sort of three and a half weeks after that, which is not it's not enough really for the end of the season. Why but- not just announce it six weeks ago? It was. I mean, when you look at it, of course they were going to move the Villa game, and so they might you might say. Their argument might be to the supporters. It's like, well, of course we were going to move it. Well, if it was that blooming obvious, just set it in stone three months ago. We all knew that the Villa game is going to be a big match ages ago. So why not just move it then? And then everybody can, uh, well, not everybody, because obviously nobody can actually buy tickets for it anyway. But the people who have been fortunate enough to buy the tickets now can't bloody go. And it does change the uh, the dynamic for getting really, really drunk in town. <laughs> Sunday school night different feel to the uh, to the Saturday isn't it Sunday morning in town is going to be interesting though I mean see when the when the pubs open Sunday morning and what time they close on Monday morning <laughs> if at all and we'd like one example we got was from a guy called Rouse who sent us a message saying boys my dad booked a flight and hotel to watch the Villa game only flight could get home was Sunday at 2.30 and then Sky do that it's 300 quid down the drain what do we think of Sky TV I think that's a rhetorical question but it's a fair point isn't it it's so many people going to be out of pocket like they can talk about the windows and the dates that they have to announce these things but just make it easier for people there's no reason for anybody to lose 300 quid trying to go to a football match it was a thing at the weekend with uh, was it Kirsty Gallagher talking to a a fan on the radio who was putting out how much money Man City fans have had to spend going to matches in at Wembley, like semi-finals that could quite easily be held at Old Trafford. It's only there because I believe Ken Bates historically screwed up the building of Wembley Stadium so badly that they ended up millions of pounds worth in debt. So they have to have so many games there to try and make the money back for the FA when they're swimming in money anyway. So it's all to get the ticket prices from fans and it's all dependent on 
the train travel and the money that were given to the railways to travel to these games when you could quite easily have those matches in Manchester. Nobody's paying any mind to any of the football fans who actually want to go to these games. I think that's the thing. Like, I didn't really bat an eyelid once it was changed because I'm just so used to them piss arsing around with it. But also, I kind of take it for granted because I live in Leeds. So, yeah. if it is changed, it's not a massive inconvenience to me. I'm not going to be losing a couple of hundred quid. But Leeds, especially, is such a massive fan base, not just around England, but from abroad. There's obviously guys from Ireland come over, guys from Scandinavia. They clearly know about that. Well, I mean, you only have to know who's running the football league. Like, he clearly knows about that. So, you know, there's no excuse, really. And there's no value to it. I mean, even the fans aside, which is our main bugbear, there's no value in it to the club either. We've seen the accounts, haven't we? And there's no bloody money in it. Well, we'll get into um, the accounts in a second. First one to mention before that is the Ipswich game, which follows on from the Villa game. 2,000 tickets yes. for the final game of the season. And Ipswich are going down, no two ways about it. And they've given us 2,000 tickets and put a load of restrictions in place mm. for their fans for buying tickets. I mean, yes. from one fast to another, 2,000 tickets isn't enough. Ipswich town. Don't know if you noticed, that's not going to be enough. They have said, yeah, they've put like, you've got to be on the database already. They're not going to do any print at home tickets. They have to post it to you. So I think anybody in Yorkshire, Mick McCarthy wouldn't be able to attend this game if he was still at Switchdown Boss because they would listen to him on the phone going, hey up, I'd like some tickets to see that Switchdown game, uh, even though I'm manager. I don't know why he'd be phoning up. Maybe it's like, well, actually, Mick McCarthy would probably be trying to get loads of tickets for Leeds fans because he's a good lad. But... Um, that aside, so Mick McCarthy's requirements aside, they're trying to stop Leeds fans from going. They're going to fail. So why not just sell the tickets to the fans legitimately? There must be a part of the stadium with more than 2,000 seats in it where Ipswich can just go, all right, what's our average attendance? I don't know what's Ipswich, 15,000, whatever. Maybe they've got a 30,000 capacity stadium. Why don't they just go, right, 10,000 seats over there. Let's sell them to Leeds United fans, control that environment. So we can have the segregation. We can make sure that they arrive at the right place. We keep them away from the Ipswich fans at 10, organise it all and do it the right way and make sure that football supporters get to see a game that they're all excited about. Instead, we'll just give them 2,000 tickets and pretend that our restrictions are going to do anything to stop those other 8,000 fans from turning up in Ipswich anyway. It's just ridiculous. And it's just, it's again, it all fits in with this narrative of criminalising football fans and penalising just for basically liking the sport that makes possibly, well, contributes a lot to the economy in general. But if we even actually try and go and watch a football match, it's like people will probably end up in jail who won't have done anything wrong. But some of the restrictions on the way football fans can travel around the country is so draconian that just being a Leeds fan in Ipswich that day if you've not got a ticket, there's stuff, the rules that I can't even imagine right now, that whole business, like you can't have a, a case of beer on a football supporters coach, all that kind of stuff all fits into this thing of just like, why not just sell us the fucking tickets? <laughs> my uh, my dad, I spoke to him on the way in tonight to come into this recording and he was saying, yeah, yeah, box a hotel room in Ipswich. Like, have you got tickets? Nah, no. not yet. <laughs> just going down for the laugh. Well, that's the thing, I'm kind of weighing up whether to go down or not because I'm kind of thinking, well, if it is... Touchwood, the promotion game. Do I want to be there in Ipswich Town Centre or do I want to be in Leeds Town Centre? But there's going to be lots of Leeds fans weighing up that decision and there's going to be lots of Leeds fans taking that decision of we want to be there and just chance around. Like As a man who was in Bournemouth, I can say very safely that when promotion is on the line, if it is on the line, it could well be carnage. (laughs) It's probably the only time as well that anybody in Yorkshire is going to be going, this weekend I want to be in Leeds Town Centre or Ipswich Town Centre. And it's a bank holiday, Mm. it's a bank holiday. So they should welcome it. Like, as I keep saying control it, sell the tickets, make the money, open the pubs, make the money, open the hotels, make the money, do it all instead of turning it into this chaotic, unmanaged thing that no doubt the Monday after we'll probably have that repeat of Bournemouth again. Well, day of shame, relegate them, keep them in the championship. They must never be allowed out. All that stuff. It's all incredibly predictable and it's all because there's just not this common sense approach of just saying, how do we let as many people as want to see this game, see the game. Because my uh, thinking on it is that when Leeds fans see restrictions, they don't see the word restrictions, they see the word, ooh, challenge. <laughs> yes. And that's what exactly, it'll be very challenging. Well, if, if you look at the Twitter announcement it's which put out today, if you just look in the uh, replies, there's just loads of it which fans saying, oh, Leeds fans, just DM me if you want a ticket. Yeah. None of them want to go and they're going to be able to get tickets. So they're just going to sell them on to Leeds fans. Yeah, exactly. And not control it. Anyway, let's move on to the accounts, as we mentioned before. They've just come out for the 2017-18 financial period. And do you know what? 
Things looking pretty healthy. It's not too bad, is it, all things considered, considering we're in the championship. We're not going bust. Hooray. Yay. That's that's a big step forward. Although the headline is a bit of a step back because a, a profit of £1 million from 2016-17 turned into a loss of £4.3 million. And that loss was only so small because we made £18 million by selling players, including £15 million for Christopher Wood. This doesn't include Ronaldo Vieira is in the next set of accounts that we'll get this time next year. Admin expenses is the big thing that's gone up from £37 million to £53 million, which even Ken Bates was not posting expense amounts like that. I say posting rather than spending. Does that maybe feel to you like a piss off Massimo payment? I don't know. Could be. I've not actually looked at the specific breakdown. And from memory, I think admin expense is just a very general thing. But if you look at the club now, compared to how it was when Chilino was here, it looks more expensively run. This period is basically Radrizzani's first full year after he took over from uh, 100% from Massimo Cellino. And you can see the things that happened with the the offices being refurbished, that fan zone that opened the, the decorations around the ground, reopening everything at Thorpe Arch, redecorating Thorpe Arch. All that stuff cost money, money that Cellino either couldn't find or wouldn't spend. So it's kind of, it's the cost of running a championship football club properly. The players are not, as they once were, having to provide their own socks. Like, so the sock bill will have contributed to this <laughs> this incredibly high... 20 million um, quids worth of socks. <laughs> it all adds up. There's a lot of socks. socks. There's a lot of socks. And some but, big feet in that team. <laughs> but you look at the other figures as well. Like catering's gone up by a third, hasn't it? Yeah. Up from 4 million to like 6.7. And, uh, you know, the merch has gone up as well. So it's all encouraging signs. We're all heading in the right direction. Yeah, turnover up from 34 million to 40 million and expected to be 45 million in this season. And um, it was pointed out that we are, of the teams that don't have parachute payments, we have the highest income. Um, So that's the difference at the top of the championship. And it's where we suffer because there's always six or seven teams milling around at the top of the league who've got parachute payments. And if, you've, if you're recently out of the Premier League as well, you have more generous financial fair play allowances as well. So it's all kind of biased towards the recently relegated teams. There's nothing Leeds can really do commercially except be the biggest of the best of the rest. And we're ful- fulfilling that and making it bigger, which is one of Rad Rizzani's promises. He thinks if this club is run properly, particularly in the Premier League, the amount of money it can create from its, use that word, its brand and its history and its heritage and its standing in the world game and its massive fuck off East stand should stand it in good stead. The only problem is, as we say at the moment, is the expensive life of being in the championship. So when you are, when your game is moved for Sky, you get a princely sum of £100,000, which is fuck all really, in the grand scheme of things. And it costs money. So before player sales, we had an operating loss of 20 million. That 4.3 million pound loss is that, that's where Radritzani's nerves are because he is paying out with the help of the 49ers an amount every year to make sure that we're stable. And he said, we talked about it last time, he's only going to do that for a certain number of years before it becomes too much. Let's hope we go up then, shall we? It would uh, help, but although that will cost us £25 million in uh, bonuses and add-ons, but compared to the money that we'll be getting from the proper broadcasting deals in the Premier League, I think we should be able to afford that. As an extension of all that, then hospitality, we've seen that they're now outsourcing it to the Queen's Hotel, which is in City Square in the centre of Leeds. You get like, uh, you know, your meal included in one of the suites there, then bus through to Ellen Road and nice uh, padded seats in the East Stand and all that. You've done hospitality at Ellen Road, Rob. What was that like? Uh, it was it was really good, actually. It was for the Bolton game recently, which we did choose because it was the cheaper option for my dad's birthday. It wasn't quite the three-course meal, but there was food. I think you got like £25 worth of drinks. But my personal highlight was the uh, analysis of the match from the Leeds Legends. So pre-match, I think it was maybe Bobby Davison, who was very sensible, very polite. I think it was Tony Dorigo, very similar. Steve Hodge, very similar. Post-match, Mel Sterland walked in. Had he had a good afternoon? It looked like he'd had a good afternoon. Uh, he couldn't quite get the microphone to work. There's lots of sort of painful feedback coming out from there. <laughs> but he got asked to sort of provide a bit of insight on the game and decided to just sing Marching On Together. Uh, once that was over and everyone had joined in, he then proceeded to 
point at a random man in the room and shout, his pub's amazing, it's a proper boozer, like, it's a proper boozer. And then he walked off still holding the microphone singing, bring me sunshine. Straight into, straight to the toilet, you can hear him in the toilet. <laughs> so yeah, that was well worth it, That's to be honest. Brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah, I want to, should we do that? Oh, I'd love to it's spend a, the afternoon with Mel. Yeah, it's well worth the day out, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, I was quite surprised that you do actually get taken to the game from the Queens. I'd thought when I first read this that they were doing some kind of uh, thing where they would show you the game in the hotel, that this was a new thing, they're going to do it all up there. But um, yeah, it does show kind of show related to the, the accounts of the commercial demand if all of the um, the actual hospitality suites are so full that we're having to go to hotels in the city centre and say, can we wine and dine people here and then bring them to the seats that we've got? We need a, We need a bigger... We need a bigger boat, boat as, we, <laughs> to, uh, as we've discussed previously. And I was saying on, on the extra ball, somebody asked what we would do with the, the West Stand and I came up with the idea of extending it all the way past the cop down Lowfields Road, over the motorway, basically all the way to Wortley and putting big TV screens on the other side of Lowfields Road all the way down so people would still be able to say the, see the game, sit in the seats and you would have hospitality out the back all the way. And now looking at this, that doesn't sound like such a mad idea. Build it and they will come and, you know, it's easier to get to. Maybe we could just build it all the way into town centre so you can just walk from the Queen's one long concourse. Tottenham reckon their new stadium's got the longest bar in the world. Ours could be like, what, what is it, five miles from, <laughs> from City Square? <laughs> Deal with that, Spurs. <laughs> that would be great. An update on injuries then. We're not going to make it to the end of the season with having had a fully fit squad at any point during this season, which blows mm. my tiny brain. It does show you sort of the magic that Bielsa's works that we've not had a fully fit squad the entire season. We let our potentially probably our most imaginative player leave in January. <laughs> And yet we're still third with a group of players which most of us hated at the end of last season. It's the ridiculous turnaround, quite frankly. I still have the fear of them. Like I'll look at them at Birmingham and I think, are they turning back into Hackenbottom's leads? Because they're all still there. Like, please don't turn in. The only kind of the cast change is like J. Roy Gross has been reborn as Patrick Bamford, um, which is a plot twist. I don't think anybody saw coming. Um, yeah, the, I did say on the last podcast, I think I was trying to pick out which game was going to have Pablo Hernandez's <laughs> season ending injury. Uh, we've not had a, a strong update. Bielsa did say that he had, I think it was a positive evolution in training before the pressing game. I'm still awaiting the announcement of his retirement. <laughs> um, I think that's that's the inevitable next step. That's normally how it goes this season. We see it followed the pattern, if you remember, with Kimar Roof, when you see the uh, the photo of him wearing a protective boot and then there's the panic and then everybody says, oh no, it's normal, it's just a precaution. And then uh, the club statement comes that Kimar Roof essentially, uh, we're, we're fighting to save his his legs. <laughs> Monster weeks. Yeah. So I'm just waiting for that final, that final little bit of the picture with Pablo that we're just going to be with him. But hey, match is bogus. Get him in. That's not, it's a little bit like Habeas Corpus, but it's not that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the Polish 17 year old Wunderkind in uh, the under 23s who's been tearing it up. Don't think he played for them tonight. They beat Ipswich. Uh, 3-0 I think primed for tomorrow then so maybe. maybe he's been kept out of it so he can play but really I don't I don't imagine Bielsa's going to give him a debut at this stage but he should it should be bloody I don't know play the kids well exactly <laughs> what we're, we're talking about getting Ryan Edmondson before what we're messing about with Bielsa for Eddie Gray <laughs> spotted exactly what the problem was with Pat Bamford trying to finish that effort against Birmingham sack Bielsa get Eddie Gray in Play the kids, we'll be in the Premier League before we know it. Or as you're describing it, next season, <laughs> Bielsa's gone, <laughs> come back. Uh, quick nod to Brendan Ormsby. Uh, you may have seen the footage online of um, Brendan Ormsby and Wendy, his wife, on Look North, talking about uh, the, the care that has been taking a toll on their lives since his stroke. And they're going to be guests of honour for that Villa game because obviously he played for both clubs. And there is a GoFundMe out there as well, raising cash for him. Obviously, most famously remembered for that header against QPR in the FA Cup fifth round in 87, which was arguably one of the best moments of the 80s. Just like a bomb going off. It was a little bit before my time, but when you do look through what happened from relegation up to that point, it was in good games, it's exciting moments, but then suddenly that goal, and it's a great header. Like, it's not, like, what a good corner, Pablo. And a great header, <laughs> And uh, the celebration and the the size of the crowd that was in the stadium that day, first division QPR that we beat in the FA Cup on the way to the semi-final, where Brendan did have a slightly less glorious afternoon. But that's it's kind of that's the way of of Leeds. You can't have a good day 
without a bad day following it. And The uh, universe must balance itself, yeah. Yeah, in this case. And the universe has unbalanced itself very unfairly against Brendan um, in the last few years since uh, he was uh, chipping along quite nicely with uh, broadcasting work and would probably be doing hospitality at Leeds and stuff. But obviously this the stroke that he suffered a few years ago, it's kind of the one positive from their current situation is that they are out there now getting some help because you can tell from the, the footage that this is, they've been struggling, I think, trying to get by without going public and just dealing with it and they're finding it really difficult. But there is help out there because Leeds fans immediately took one look at the report on Look North and it was straight away, right, how do we help? And that's always there. And it's good that Villa are, are helping as well. And I think the different atmosphere at the the club as well, they've, apart from inviting him to be guest of honour, they've said very quickly, it's like, yeah, we're aware of this now. And with the track record that the, the club have had over the last couple of seasons, I'm fairly confident that help that they need will be forthcoming in quite a meaningful way, which perhaps wouldn't have been around the time well, I'll say it around the time that Chilino's sons were saying that all the old legends were just drawing a wage and contributing nothing and sack them all. Uh, it's very different from then. And hopefully the difference that can make to Brendan and Wendy going forward will be very good as well. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Let's locate the whereabouts right now then of the blasphemy bat on the God Rod. You'll recall that the existence of God uh, was proven when we lost to Stoke in January, favouring heavily religious uh, Nathan Jones over Marcelo Bielsa. They then surrendered the blasphemy baton to Preston the following week, who held on to it due to an unbeaten run for two months. Then incredibly, Reading turned them over. Now, they were never going to be the almighty's preference for long, I don't think. No way the club like Reading has is, uh, is been the Lord's choice. Probably uh, the first time we'd heard of him. And they were defeated. They were vanquished by Hull City. Hull. 3-1. We can't say that uh, Reading didn't go down without fighting like uh, the Lord's Lambs because you know who scored for them? Opened the scoring in this match. Lewis Baker. Lewis Baker Jesus scored Christ. a goal. So, oh, li- sorry. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Lord's name in vain. He must have been, uh, the Lord must have taken possession of Lewis, guided him towards the goal, scored and then realised that he'd rather have Hull win because Hull have got a tiger on their badge and he maybe just likes big cats. I mean, God is omnipotent, can be everywhere. Maybe he'd been at the zoo or maybe he'd been on, he'd seen tigers in the wild. That would be much more like, likely because uh, animals in zoos is a bit cruel. What do you think of Hull, Rob? Very little. I can't imagine it's a very holy place, but we'll see how long God sticks around there. City of culture. So there's plenty of uh, museums and exhibitions for him to explore. You a fan of Hull? No. <laughs> but I'm just saying that it is, it is traditionally God forsaken. So maybe now that they have this brief possession of the bat and God might take the time to show some interest. I mean, Hull though, you know, traditionally a big fishing port in its day, feeding of the 5,000 and all that, that's not beyond the Lord's um, power and capability. Yeah, he only needs one. You can get that anywhere. You don't have to go to Hull to get one fish. You can go to Tesco. But it's got a port, so it's going to be fine. Yeah, then, you're going to get it out of the sea when you just get it in a shot. They, um, it's not the 18th century. They face Wigan this midweek, and you can see what the Lord has in mind here a little bit, because Wigan then face Norwich the week after. Do you think Norwich are going to inherit the, inherit the baton and get to the Premier League? Is that what's going to happen? Take it to the Premier League. Mm. That would depend then on where they go on like their pre-season tour and stuff, whether they go to uh, distant lands. <laughs> Like missionaries spreading the good word of the the God Rod or whether they just go to, I don't know, Sodom and Gomorrah, still actual places. I was thinking more along the lines of they could just go on a nice sort of Red Sea diving holiday and just part the waters, something like that. You you see, you're much more uh, Bible educated than me. I'm just floundering around with random things like, oh yeah, fish. I bet God likes 
tigers. <laughs> it's all a bit of a. Uh, Are you trying to suggest that this is maybe uh, a, a feature built on very, very sandy foundations? All I'm saying is I wish now that I'd paid a little bit more attention at Sunday school. Two terrifying games to look forward to this week, and we will get to those. But first, the uh, the acknowledgement of people who have either enriched our lives as Leeds fans or made them marginally worse. The Ken Bates Villainy Award is the first one that we tackle. Somebody who has made us feel sad this week, a defeat at the weekend, so we should have some fairly rich pickings right now. As is customary, though, Ken Bates gets the very first nomination, and what's he getting it for this time? Well, as we mentioned, the accounts came out last week. When they used to come out in Ken Bates' era, I used to have to download all the related company information. It was there, Yorkshire Radio, the Pavilion, uh, the media companies, whatever else it invented, and trying to follow where all the money was, what had been happening, what he was doing, why Simon's war chest was so feeble. Now, it's fine. The losses seem okay, manageable. We're not Bolton begging the Football League for money so that we can play a game. So for robbing me of those times and for making me learn finances. Like I learned, like I'm really bad at maths, but I had to really work really hard to make sense of accounting, which I never thought I would have to do. In some ways, actually, it's a, it's a useful skill that uh, stands me in, in good stead if I ever actually make any money. Apart from that, waste of time that I don't look back on fondly. I would much rather just accounts come out, people who know better than me just go, yeah, it's fine. I've also got another good reason. We've got a guest here in Rob. He ruined your childhood, Rob, basically. Yes, basically. I've, I've not really enjoyed football much, ever. And Ken Bates is mainly to blame for that, I'd say. Because I was brought up on Wilkinson's team, Strachan mm, and Batty too. and so on. So we got the joys of that, League Champions. You even, got- the, even the uh, Champions League era was fun while it lasted. Yeah, it looked great. It was, it really was. Yeah, yeah. It, it really nice. was. And w- what did you get? Paul Green, Michael Brown, Michael Tong. I don't want to talk about it, really. So Bates gets his nomination your, for ruining a child's life. Your therapist gets all I that stuff. Say I'm not a child anymore. <laughs> when you were a child, you were a child to us. We've got to nominate Gary Monk because he's made lots of misery this weekend. Why did it have to be him who did the double overs this season? I mean, I know, like, technically Pep Clotet's there, so it's like, that's nice. Like, I don't, I don't begrudge Pep. He's probably went home, put Motorhead on, rocked out, had a good night. Whereas Gary Monk just... Went home. I bet he had. I bet he had a uh, a coma. He's, he seems like a coma man <laughs> with the group. Yeah, which is otherwise known as his wife. Boiled rice. Plain naan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, plain naan. Boiled rice. Not, he's not gone for the pilau. Too fancy. <laughs> so that's annoying. Watched Mrs. Brown's boys. Something like that. <laughs> Thinks it's hilarious. Fuck Gary Monk. Still. But it's twice he's done us this season. And if we do miss out on promotion, and I know it's won and lost over a season, but isn't he, he's going to feel like a bit of a, whatever the opposite of a talisman is. He's kind of, he was saying in advance of this game, he's doing what, I, I'm sure he said it last season when he was at Middlesbrough, he was looking at what Leeds were doing. He's like, oh, I see uh, Andreas decided to really go for it this season. Uh, so that's great. You know, they're really, really going for promotion. And I, I get the feeling he's kind of saying that one, He's talking about the backing he didn't think he was ever going to get, but he didn't He didn't stick around to find out. But two, I don't want to be in the championship forever where it's like that twice annual interview with Steve Morrison where he's like, yeah, I don't know why the Leeds fans hate me. Him just going, oh, they're really going for it this season. Yeah, see, see how it works out for them. Oh, I can't stand it. He needs to just get off our backs. Also, I had a fiver on them to get relegated. Uh counting on them getting like a 15 point deduction. That's another thing that Sean Harvey didn't bloody help me with. And neither did them beating Leeds twice. So it's not, not just if we don't go up, but if they stay up by six points, I'll be double mad. Rob, you can bring something new to this podcast rather than our old bitter twisted views. Go on, what have you got? Well, I've got sort of bitter twisted views against another manager, hapless championship manager. Uh, I suppose it, it, it didn't really affect us this week, but the news did come out in the week just gone that Steve McLaren was, poor old Steve was finally sacked by QPR, completing what Bob Mortimer on Atletico means causes destroying exit, which he uh, willfully completes at every club he's ever visited. But I mean, what's really annoyed me is that this is a man who's supposedly a Leeds fan, and yet the one team he's beaten in 2019 mm. somehow is Leeds United. I mean, you talk about seasons being defined over the course of the whole year, but that three points really could be massive. And it really just sums up how completely fucking useless Steve McLaren is. It's a good point. I want to ask a question though. Are you a keen listener of the podcast, Rob? I'd like to think I am, but I feel like I'm uh, ready for a slip up here. (laughs) 
Did you listen to last week's By Any Chance? Oh yet? dear, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I were... like how you've left this on the sheet. <laughs> <laughs> we gave you enough rope to hang yourself there. Oh, we can at least save Rob a little bit by, because this does give us the opportunity to analyse Ian Holloway's thoughts on uh, Steve McLaren's time at QPR. He had my babies and took my kids. It means the world to me. I literally, I had no idea why uh, Ian Holloway is that mad. I like the, the, is that I, what he said? Yeah, I'm reading this off the Guardian's reporting of it. They're very dry on it. They say, um, Holloway also claimed that he felt as if McLaren had taken his family from him. He had my babies and taught my kids. So it was worth bringing that back to the table. Yeah. To be Would fair. I go back? Depends who calls me. Les didn't want me to go. Les Ferdinand. Although apparently, and this is could be even more hilarious than Steve McLaren, there's quite a strong move within the QPR board to get um, Tim Sherwood in, which would be <laughs> wonderful. Man who wears a body warmer but calls it a gilet. They just get madder and madder. Anybody else? Pat Bamford. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> He's one of ours. It's a shame. Are you maybe turning, is the worm turning here? Because obviously you're not putting out videos of Bailey Peacock Farrell anymore these days. We didn't. uh... If you've not heard this, by the way, it's (laughs) worth saying that Roscoe, uh, last year, now it's about a year ago, maybe when Bailey Peacock Farrell. uh, And I was trying to protect him. Young Brava Papo. uh, (laughs) (laughs) What are you? (laughs) Young Bravo Papa Foxtrot. Really? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it would have sounded funny if I'd have done it right. When he was coming through, you tried to make a video, blah, 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 listen I to all the last to 10 podcasts. Protect him so he wasn't thrown <laughs> to the championship walls. We didn't mention that Birmingham got Kiko Casilla. Is Bailey making those saves? Four of them, I counted. Could have been a much worse scoreline. Why Bamford? He's a very rich man and we need a striker. Why doesn't he just buy us one? If he's not going to score the goals, January, perfect thing. We're obviously trying to uh, to get a goal scorer. His fitness is, is questionable. It's not working. Why don't you just go to uh, Victor Orta and he says, you know, you're looking uh, on your, your football manager game. You look, you've set it for maximum 10 million. Double it, Victor. My dad will pay. Yeah, but he's a Tory. So why is he going to start giving money to the poor? That's not what they do. It would be charity. Obviously, he's not going to be uh, paying it in tax. But if it's a charitable donation that makes him look good, he could be the hero because he basically, he, he would own the player. He would probably, the one drawback for whichever striker we signed is that they have to play with a plaque attached to them saying, kindly donated to Leeds United by the family of uh, of Patrick Bamford. And, JCB and father. <laughs> yeah, but, or maybe you could just play the games on, the, on a track there. <laughs> What do, you, what do you call the JC? It's a JCB. I don't know what the d- generic name is for a JCB. It's a digger, isn't digger. it? Yeah, so we could play the games on a digger. We'll get Paul Green back on his, his ride on lawnmower. We need to have a, a square ball day out at Diggerland, but that's for a different story. Um, if we can get tickets day. at Ipswich, it's sorted, then that's fine. I want to give a quick nod to Dan James as well for playing out of his skin again and looking really good. What's he done now? He just keeps playing well, that's all, really. He's not, he's not a leading candidate for this. He's just keeping his name in the frame in the hopes that by osmosis, he might come back to us in the summer. Maybe, maybe. It feels like this is a shoo-in for Gary Monk. What about you, Rob? Yeah, I'm happy to go with Gary Monk. Yes, definitely. Coming out of his basket twice a year just because Leeds United are playing a saxophone at him or whatever the instrument is that you use to make a snake dance. It's probably got a more complicated name. I don't think it's a, a jazzy snake. <laughs> saxophone. <laughs> Leave leave jazzy snakes out of this. Right, congratulations to Gary Monk. Uh, Let's move on to the Andy Hughes Hero Award. Recognition for somebody who's brought us a little bit of happiness. Slim pickings this week. It's been a sad weekend. Who we got? Well, I was going to nominate Malik Wilkes, but did you bastards nominate him last week and have not told me about it? Or am I? Is that all right? You can have him. Oh, perfect. Well, yeah. He's having a very good season on loan at Doncaster and he scored the winning goal uh, against Bradford this weekend, so... If we can't be happy, it's nice for our yeah. fellow Yorkshire neighbours. We can't, can't be, be happy. happy. Nobody can be yeah. happy. Yeah, absolutely right. And I mean, being a citizen of Bradford, being from Bradford, I do like seeing Bradford not doing very well. It's fun. <laughs> Makes my life easier. Um, you mentioned Kiko there as well, Moscow. Um, it's, by the way, it's called either a, a Pungi or a Murley. Is a wind instrument played by Gary Monk Chalmers. If it wasn't Kiko in goal, I'm not saying Bailey Peacock Farrell wouldn't have kept the scoreline down. I'm just saying I'm glad that Kiko did. The one good player against Birmingham was the goalkeeper, if he was also a little bit terrifying. Playing sweeper-keeper is good. Playing sweeper-keeper on the edge of the centre circle is good. When the edge of the centre circle that you're standing on is in the other team's half, starts to get a little bit. <laughs> and there was a bit where he, he came uh, running out of goal, basically dribbling. He tried to go around Gianni Alioski and Alioski was like, just <laughs> give, give, me me the the, give me the ball, get back in there. 
and um, there was a lot of that going on. But he uh, he made the saves um, that he had to save, and like, yeah, it, it could have been really bad without him. Premier League keeper for a championship team. <laughs> More of that. I mean, if we had a Premier League striker, and again, Pat, you could afford just dip in your pocket. Is that all we can muster then? Malik Wilkes and Kiko Casilla. Anybody else? I don't know if we can make the kind of the square ball curse work in reverse. Because I thought we gave it to Pablo Hernandez last week for a multitude of reasons. I think if Rob had been here, the podcast probably would have been an extra hour listing all the qualities that Pablo brings to Leeds United. Um, if you go on the Square Ball website, by the way, Rob's article in the last issue is free to read about how he ignored his girlfriend the uh, day after the uh, West Brom game because he, he refused to spend time with her and her friends because he was too busy sitting in his shorts at home thinking about Pablo Hernandez. So I'm sure Rob will support me in saying if we give it to Pablo in advance of him coming off the bench against Preston tomorrow night, probably still wearing the protective boots to turn the 2-0 lead that Preston have taken over us into a 3-2 win for Leeds. Him, three goals, three assists, and probably three, what do you call them, key passes, the pass before the assist as well. He'll do it all. And then he'll take over from Kiko in goal and save the last minute penalty. That While Kiko's in uh, midfield. <laughs> yeah, basically. We're, we have to play a kind of rush keeper and Pablo makes it happen. M- magic gloves appear on his hands. There's nothing he can't do. So I think, yeah, we could maybe just, um, assuming that we'll have some other candidates by the, the time of the next podcast, if we give him, give him it now for what he's going to do against Preston, that will restore our faith and probably get us promoted because that sort of performance, I think we get nine points. So we'll be champions. And that's the best we can do. Well, I mean, we we were bloody awful against Birmingham, really, weren't we? So there's not there's not much heroism. I would like to put it on record that I will give Hernandez anything. So I'm all for him getting this award. Seems like a shoe in, yeah. Yeah, Pablo Hernandez for for gifts he is yet to bestow. Well, we've got a Tuesday Wednesday combo this week. Game on Tuesday, Wednesday on Saturday. So I was trying to be a smart (laughs) ass. And Marcelo now he said every uh, game is a must win in his press conference. Uh, It's a must win. He started stating the obvious, not a good sign. I have noticed he's got a bit Mike Bassett in his quotes recently, Bielsa, like after the game on Saturday when he kind of said, yeah, we deserve to lose that. But I mean, we could have won that by a few goals. Having said that, it could also have been a draw really. I thought, do you know what? He's bloody right there. It's hard to argue with him. I think there might be an element with this that he's trying to take the focus off him a little bit because there's been so much attention on Bielsa. And the press conference is getting longer and longer and getting more detailed and more esoteric. I think he's making a deliberate move to just kind of short answers. Any other question? No, right. Let's go back to work and really trying to focus on the football and the the players rather than getting drawn into now is not the time for philosophy. Now is the time to just name the team and then just send them out on the pitch to play. Obviously, they are must-win games now. So we could essentially treat both as one and the same, can't we say, hopefully we just go out there and win. But any specifics we need to pay attention to here, do you think? Preston being good. They went 12 games unbeaten, which is annoying. Won eight and drawn four before they lost to Reading and Sheffield United. Reading is a surprise. Sheffield United is, yeah, it's not unexpected. So that's a little bit of a concern because Preston, you'd, you'd kind of look at uh, their position in the table and also, I mean, it's fucking Preston. You want to just put a tick next time and go, yeah, three points, that's fine. And we beat them very easily earlier in the season, but they've suddenly, they are one of those teams, I think Alex Neal just gets them doing stuff and they do it quite well. They've managed to be sort of quite good for for two seasons now and I still don't know anyone that plays for him. I just know that Paul Huntington's somehow there. Yeah, And again, he's one of those players that I remember from the dark days of my childhood and yet he's suddenly sort of a championship playoff contender. I don't really understand how it all works. Absolute rock at the heart of their defence. Although on whoscored.com, their weaknesses do all kind of point to Paul Huntington's presence at the back. Their weaknesses are defending set pieces, defending against attacks down the wings. I mean, I know it's not full back, but bear with me. And defending counter-attacks. So it's the defence where they're weak, whereas uh, counter-attacking and creating chances and all that stuff is their, um, is their strengths. And also we've got to bear in mind as well that because they've they've kind of dropped off the, the playoff places a little bit, they really need to win this game uh, if they're going to beat us in the final, which they're going to do. So following the, the expected 
course of the season. There's no other result here really apart from a Preston win to move them closer to the playoff places and us also closer to the playoff places. <laughs> what do we expect from Sheffield Wednesday then, Rob? Again, it's interesting actually because looking at the, the final running sort of a month ago, you sort of earmarked that Millwall game as like, if we get through that because they're always difficult, these last six fixtures look pretty favourable. But then all of a sudden Preston went on that mad run. Sheffield Wednesday have suddenly started playing really well. I know they got beaten at the weekend. Was it the weekend or? It was recently. Villa, didn't they, recently? Um, so yeah, now suddenly it looks a lot more difficult and also we've started losing games as well. But I'd like to think, to be honest, after Birmingham I was pretty down, but then having listened to uh, Phillips in the press conference today, it's just sort of calmed me a lot. You're just kind of reminded that, you know, if we play how we usually play, we're actually quite good. So I hope that's the case. That was the point I made on last week's podcast about why we should have beaten Birmingham. Because we are pretty good, except we happen to have an off day and got monked. So there you go. But I think it should be a different proposition. I've just realised I did actually want to nominate Calvin for uh, Hero of the Week for his press conference performance. And what was his actual quote today? There's Um, no reason why we can't get promoted. No, it was the other one where he said, uh, there's six more big games to go. But hopefully after tomorrow night against Preston, we can have a little chill, relax and watch Sheffield United get beat. (laughs) Cal, I wish I was as chillaxed as Calvin Phillips and I'm not playing. It's extraordinary. Uh, Yeah, he doesn't beat Pablo Hernandez, but retrospectively, just for the record, he he should have been nominated for heroism for that. Um, We've got difficulties with um, Sheffield Wednesday because I looked through all our upcoming opponents to see who, according to whoscored.com, plays with two up front and they said none. They have a little feature at the bottom where it shows like their their most their most used lineup and their most used lineup is Stephen Fletcher up front on his own. Unfortunately, that hasn't tipped the edge since Steve Bruce took over when they went on an unbeaten run of 11, won five and drawn six. The defeat to Aston Villa is the first game they've lost under him, I think. And he's gone two up front. That automatically means Bielsa, three defenders, but he's not got a consistent front two. So we're going to be facing probably Stephen Fletcher with either Fernando Forestieri, Sam Winnell, Gary Hooper, Nahuhu. I I struggle with this. I'm sure his his first name is that at at ATDHE. And that's that website where you used to get match streams, I'm sure. (laughs) Thank God you said match streams. (laughs) Yes, it's Pornhub (laughs) Nahuhu. Anyway, and then Lucas Jow, which is a lot of players to choose from. The one we can, if we hope, Fernando Forestieri is the one, because he even posted on Twitter a photograph that he'd have taken of himself with Marcelo Bielsa. Although then there's the risk that he'll want to play well and impress him. I don't know. And Gary Hooper, obviously, because he was supposed to sign for Leeds for several, several years. So he's almost nailed on to score against us. Tom Lees and Barry Bannon. Also in this team, there's just a lot of, then obviously managed by Steve Bruce, who's a one scum legend Two, his kid has a grudge against us because he didn't leave enough vomit on our pitch when he played here. Remember Alex Bruce used to puke before every game. Yeah. Very off-putting. And then we had to watch him play and then I puked. So there's all that kind of adds up and it makes me think that this is going to be no, very, no, no. very difficult game. Sheffield United are the two words that you need to think about. You reckon? They'll, they'll roll over and let us have it. Is former Sheffield United manager Steve Bruce going to allow that to happen? Now is it Sheffield yeah. Wednesday? You think? Hey, based on what Calvin was saying, do you think the squad has got the right capability? Do you think they are mentally prepared for the running, even if we're not? I really don't know. This is I'm sort of with you and just wanting it to be over, and then I don't have to kind of find out until like we open our eyes and we're promoted or we've lost the playoff final because as much as I know you've spoken before, as much as these players have been so improved this season, Cooper, you still think, ah, oh, it's Liam Cooper. And I feel really horrible about that because he's been so good, but I really don't know. But I mean, listening to Phillips today, like you say, he sounds very relaxed and you just think, I don't know, it's going to be different this season, whatever, isn't it? So it's the one thing Bielsa brings and what he maybe got a little bit ragged against Birmingham, but he'll double down on it again. It's, it's just, it's all about routine and practice. You've done this, you know what you're doing. Stick to the plan. Don't think. And it's kind of, that's a, people have stopped talking about burnout. Like we've not heard that for a while, even though form has, has gone off. And it's because I think we can see that they don't look tired. They don't really look mentally tired. They're sticking to the plan. They're playing the same way all the time to a high level. It's just Pat Bamford needs to get his, Boots on the right way round or Kimar Roof plays. Pablo Hernandez to be on it and not 
on the fringes of the game as he was against Birmingham. And we need to not play teams that have two strikers. <laughs> ah, right, well, two games this week, six points. How many are we going to get, Rob? Four. Moscow? None. I was going to say, where will it leave us at the weekend? Moscow, I don't need to ask you that. Third, Rob? Third. And that wraps up this episode of the Square Ball Podcast. We will return after the Sheffield Wednesday game. Grab yourself one of the remaining copies of Issue 9. It's going to be on sale for the Wednesday game. Issue 10 is going to follow for the back end of the season. Hopefully not the playoffs. Hopefully not the playoffs. It gives us more games to sell it at. That's true. Every cloud. Links to the magazine on the website, thesquareball.net. Have a look at the links through to the merch as well if you fancy getting your hands on a Leeds Carajo mug. And most of all, have a click on the link for the new podcast, The Extra Ball, that goes with this one if you fancy supporting us, getting behind us and letting us do more of this. Everything you need at thesquareball.net. I've got to say, the one thing that we could we should recommend about The Extra Ball is that there is very little to practically no discussion of the current state of Leeds United. It's all kind of either retro or I mean I'm talking about stuff from 1919 on the new one which is fine I mean admittedly it does deal with the entire closure of a football club but it's possibly less stressful if you get to the end of this and you know I've just declared that Leeds aren't going to get a point out of the next two games when I could really say for the rest of the season it's very refreshing to go from that to the extra ball and uh, just think about nice thoughts and forget about how um how difficult this all is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see you at the end of another emotionally charged week. We'll speak to you then. Thanks for listening. The Square Ball Podcast. Podcast.